Well, nine weeks ago, we began a summer series with Paul and the Corinthian congregation. And today marks the end of our time exclusively in Corinth with this stirring speech by Paul to the congregation to follow through with your good intentions, turning your fine feelings into fine action. But of course, like anyone who has spent time away from their typical routine on an extraordinary expedition, it's helpful to remember as that journey comes to a close why we started out on this journey in the first place. What did we learn along the way? What will we carry with us as a guide for our living now as we move into what's next? It's like when we review pictures and mementos while we were on vacation to a brand new place we'd never been before. We come home and we think about them. We go back through what we brought back with us. Now that we're back in a typical routine and being home. And as you all know by now, my typical routine is preaching the Gospels. I have said a few times that this was hard a little bit for me. There were points in the summer wrestling with Paul and his words that just, oh, but I stuck to it because this is what we were doing. We were going to learn, I was going to learn about Paul and the Corinthians and what we might learn from them about being church. What does it mean to be and stay a church in a context like ours? That was the question facing Paul and the Corinthians all those many centuries ago that still faces us today. So the longer I spent time with Paul, letting his words really speak to me again for the first time, I discovered that this person is clearly human, but he also struggled with the implications of his calling. Yet he never wavered in his commitment to Christ who had called him to ministry in the first place. And I came to respect that about Paul. For me now, Paul is more appealing than appalling because in these letters, between an apostle and a congregation, working out what it means to create and maintain community rooted in God's love and grace, we see what it looks like to live as someone whose love for God and love for the communities of Jesus' followers he helped establish influenced Paul's words and actions, no matter what it cost him. And again, my respect and admiration deepened for this apostle. For from the beginning of his letters to the Corinthians, Paul wrote with the awareness of our human condition, how we tend to operate from our own ideas, interests, and loyalties. Our own inclination is to defend our rights, to be right, and make sure everyone else knows it. We rely on our own knowledge and logical reasoning to get us where we think we should be. We can sometimes figure out how to work together, but we're not always very good at simply being together, nor are we very good at always 
taking the time to learn about another's story and what the power of God is doing in their lives. That takes time to sit and listen and be changed by what we hear. And that's hard, so our human condition is just not to do it. But Paul does not want the Corinthians or us to just accept this is how things are because they've always been this way. So it's from this place of recognizing how we wound and are wounded by each other, how we desire to be seen as competent, rational, and in control of things, yet we struggle with doubts, vulnerability, and the realization that not only do we not have everything under control, we don't have all the answers, we may not even be asking the right questions because the world is changing so rapidly. It's when we realize this is our starting point that, ah, now we can move forward because another way is open to us. So what have we learned with Paul and the Corinthians and our summer vacation there this, these last nine weeks that can help us as a congregation move forward in our faith journey? What are the guideposts on this trail which can't be found on any tangible map but nevertheless is the path that is laid out for us by the Holy Spirit in its wisdom? for the congregation named Providence. Here are seven guideposts to remember. And I'll have a copy of this. You don't have to write it all down if you're a writing down kind of person. Number one, remember, practicing unity and diversity is hard. But that's part of the design of the human body and the body of Christ. With Christ as the head of this body, our task as the limbs and ligaments, bones and tendons is to be in agreement and have no divisions among us about what the mind of Christ calls us to be and do. We are to glorify God and continue the work of Jesus in the world. Now, in order for the church to fulfill its proper function as the body of Christ, The parts cannot covet each other's functions, nor can one part overfunction, thereby making other parts underfunction. Rather, there needs to be a collaborative spirit and energy at work as the people of God and the Spirit of God flow together, driving the group with a focus and purpose. Number two, Remember that the energy needed for collaboration between the people of God and spirit of God, its name is the more excellent way of love. It is the way of being, a state of existing in relationship to God whose love for the world is revealed in Jesus. And it's Jesus who showed us what the character of love for a church in days like these what that love needs to look like. It needs to be active and tough and resilient and committed for the long haul. This love is shorthand for what life in Christ looks like. 
And it has to do with the whole person as well as the context surrounding those people. Loving individuals and loving them enough to work against systems that dominate and oppress and diminish and disrupt any holy collaborations of love in action. Number three, it's remembering that it's always a costly thing to be a Christian. For there is no real Christianity without the cross. There is no real Christianity without suffering. Because being a follower of Jesus seriously makes you vulnerable. It makes you unpopular and uncomfortable. Yet our vulnerabilities, our discomforts, are also opportunities for God to make God's self known and to come alongside and be made real to us and those around us. When we share the stories of when we're vulnerable, when it feels like nothing we do is working, we're also talking about the faithfulness of Christ and the brave comfort of the Holy Spirit that moves us to take courage and go with God to the next thing, the new thing that is coming into being, even when that is uncomfortable and we might fail. Following Jesus doesn't mean we won't ever be afraid. It doesn't mean we won't ever fail. But it does mean we are never alone, and God has shown us over and over again that human failure is God's favorite way of revealing grace and forgiveness and the courage to try again. So number four, remember that those who travel this road of faith, when they have wronged us, the body of Christ is called to practice forgiveness that, like love, does not insist on its own way does not rejoice in wrongdoing or keep records of mistakes. Disagreements and disappointments are inevitable among groups of people. That's why forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus teaches and talks about is connected with grace and accountability. Forgiveness is the way forward with accountability and grace to try again to mature and grow as a body of believers into the sacred nature of being called to be a people of God in the world. We recognize that no one can fulfill everyone's expectations and we all will make mistakes. Yet this is the great work of love among the fellowship that is the human church family. It's remembering that you can do this hard thing. You can do this hard thing. It's not easy, I know, but I believe that it's so. You can do this hard thing. Number five, remember, don't lose heart. When things get tough as we live our beliefs and we're called to open our minds, our lives, and our hearts to God, to see God at work in our lives, and to talk about things that are hard. Don't lose heart when things get tough. Don't hide your flavor. Don't hide your light. 
Remember, you are already a blessing. You are already salt for the earth and light for the world. Remember to keep asking the question, what are you going to do with who God created you to be? How will others see your good works and give glory to God? We are made to be clay jars, not for decoration, but for use. Whose lids come off, whose sides get cracked and chipped from constant activity, and whose contents pour forth to flavor and illuminate the world, still desperately seeking a new way to be church. Number six, remember what we do here and now matters. The Holy Spirit does not give us a spirit of timidity, but of boldness to live with integrity and courage and to use our beings, ourselves, our bodies, our minds, and our spirits in the service of God as part of the larger life, not bound by time or space or mortality. Living the larger life compels us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God right now, to act with faith, hope, and love right now, because there's too much at stake not to. Living the larger life means cheerfully pleasing God is what we organize our entire lives around, not just doing the bare minimum participating just enough to achieve our individual ticket to heaven. God's kingdom is already breaking through, and we are called to live into that reality for the benefit of all creation right now. And finally, number seven, remember that in Christ you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So regard others from that new creation point of view. Be excellent in generosity, not just in your financial giving, although that is important, but also in the giving of your heart, your time, your mind, your strength. For this world is full of severe ordeals of affliction and extreme poverty as well as full of abundant joy and overflowing compassion. This world needs to see the love of God in action in a group of people who don't have it all figured out by any means, but are still willing to risk something for God, even though we look foolish in the process. And if scripture tells us from Genesis to Revelation, we're in great company when we do. So if Paul were here, if he were standing here, and we could ask him the question, well, what's next for us, Apostle Paul? Where do you see us going from here? I think he would say, it's simply this. Excel in the gospel commandment that is as old as time and yet is new every morning every chance you encounter another person. Love one another. Love is that simple. It is that difficult. 
Love is all there is. Love is the power that is at work in you, in me, in all of us. Not by anything that you or I or we have done, but by the extraordinary power of the one who has called us and formed us out of the clay of the earth to be salt sharers, light bearers, and love givers to the world. So let us join together with hand and heart to practice and be excellent at this still more excellent way. Love one another. Amen.